Welcome to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast. The show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina, owner of Quotable Media Co., a PR and media company. After nearly 10 years of building a PR agency, I've learned a lot about business and entrepreneurship, but the most valuable things have always come through conversation with other women who have been in it too, and I want to share all of that with you. So sit back, fill your coffee cup up, and listen in. I'm so excited to be talking to Amy Wellsman today. She's the founder and CEO of Palm, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear more about this brand. Amy, thank you so much for coming on, first of all, and talking to me today. Thank you. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I I just love the look of your product. I think what you have what you've built looks is is just so amazing and so timely and relevant and something that people are going to love to have heard more about first of all so i mean yeah let's jump let's jump right in i guess first to like how i like to have people get to hear the introduction to the to, to your company straight from you so tell us what your what palm is what it's all about kind of how it got started and we can kind of go from there yeah so i i can kind of start I mean, Palm, just to begin, is um, it, it's an evolving brand. It's funny. It's it's had a bit of a evolution the last year. We're only um, just over a year old. And I would say, I mean, a lot of founders can probably relate to this, but they brands take on a life of their own. And, and right now, I would say that our focus is really um, on the hand care category and becoming the sort of only leader i mean at the moment there really isn't any leader in this category that's really defined themselves as like the specialist in hand care Mm -hmm. i think it's always typically been an afterthought for and a part of like a body care portfolio but nothing that's been super targeted um so we're we're really going after that that focus And, and i like to say we're we create um targeted skincare essentials for the hands um, that also have a you know luxurious element um, and also have sustainability in mind as well. So those are that's sort of our like blanket statement of what Palm is. But I'd love to go through the story and share with you how that's evolved. Um, yeah. So I guess I can go all the way back to 2013. Just seems like so long ago <laughs> um, when I left my corporate job to join a startup in Toronto called Nix. And I think hopefully many of your listeners have heard of the brand. It's a women's intimates brand. Yeah. I've heard uh, that's of it. really taken off the last, well, almost 10 years. Um, I joined the team as the first hire, oh, wow. um, full-time hire. And I, I met the founder. I knew the founder actually like through some mutual friends and we had talked at a party one night and, you know, she had told me this idea and I just became immediately drawn and attached to it. And I sort of was able to to weasel my way into a job um, right out of the gate and this cool. was before um, we launched. So I joined next pre-launch and I spent just over four years there building that brand with Joanna. Um, I was her sort of right hand. I My role evolved from, you know, really just starting and doing anything and everything to being more focused and building our wholesale channel, actually, which is interesting because now Mm. they're almost exclusively direct to consumer but at Mm. the time wholesale was really important to our growth and our survival to be honest Mm. um so i went through that early experience of being in a startup and witnessing 
well, the, the chaos, but also the wins and, and learning as much as I could and, you know, learning from our mistakes. Um, there were many of them as all businesses go through. Mm-hmm. Um, so rite of passage. Um, and then also a lot of our wins and what worked. And um, it was an amazing experience. Um, and then it was through that that I started to think about my future and and really think about myself as an entrepreneur and wanting to build something of my own. I think I had been a right hand, as I said, for a few years in supporting someone else's dream. Um, and I wanted to create one for myself. So Love that. I left after four years and wanted to gain a little more life experience. I didn't have an idea yet. Um, so I wanted to do some consulting work and travel. And I had my first baby during that period and, and really was waiting for that sort of aha moment or moment of inspiration. And that actually did come to me when I had my first child and became a mother for the first time. And my awareness of hand hygiene was just through the roof. And I started to use hand sanitizer a lot more um, than I had previously. And now I'd, I'd always been... I was sort of a road warrior at NYX. I was on the road a lot. We were at trade shows and, you know, it was a grueling time. And I, I did typically have a lot of sanitizer with me because I was traveling, but um, so I wasn't totally new to the product, but it was something I had in my home all of a sudden. I had like, you know, it in my front hallway for people to come when they came to visit the baby. I had it on my change table because, you know, you're doing like midnight diaper changes and you just don't have time mm-hmm. to run to the bathroom and wash your hands with soap and water. And I just you know, had it everywhere. And and I started to think about the category um, in a broader context. And at the time I was looking at other body care categories like, you know, hair care, um, deodorant, and there was such a a revolution happening um, just in general in the D2C space. And there wasn't a lot happening in sanitizer. It was basically your kind of drugstore utilitarian product that everyone dreaded using that smelled terrible, Uh was packaged in (laughs) single-use plastics. And that was it. And I thought maybe there is something here and maybe, maybe there's an opportunity to create not only a product that people enjoy using, um, but that also looks beautiful. And that has these like design driven dispensers that actually look nice in your home. And I, I just thought like hand hygiene is just so important. Why not make the act of, of cleaning your hands when you don't have access to soap and water? more of a luxurious experience yeah. <laughs> is that a thing like I don't know I it was these are all my ponderings at the time and you know I started a business plan and and this was before COVID I, I was gonna say, say um, and this is such a like yeah. timely thing to have started thinking about that before 2020 <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a funny thing and then yeah and then and then COVID so I was sort of humming and hawing and like had a little business plan and you know I was at home with my daughter and she was one years old I was like pretty busy at the time and and it was sort of an afterthought but then the pandemic hit and actually it was during like the first four or five weeks and on like real lockdown and I was like okay I've got to do this like Mm -hmm. this is a sign I need to move ahead with this and I just like kicked it into gear and basically took an idea on a piece of paper to you know a bunch of investors and you know pitched the heck out of it and raised a bit of you know seed money um, and then really like hit the ground running on formulation and packaging and all that stuff and, and worked really hard to get it to market sort of within, I think we were, it was about 10 months later that wow. we were like officially launched. Wow. Uh, so it was a crazy year. Oh <laughs> and that my was gosh. during like a crazy 
time in the world from a supply chain perspective. And, right. I mean, like it was hard to get sure, hands. But... Yeah. Like it was yeah. hard to get hand sanitizer. I bet it was hard to get all of the components that you needed to yeah. actually create it too, even though the demand was obviously there for the product. Yeah. yeah. It was, um, it went was into really that. challenging and, and I wanted to really create something different. Like that was, that was the biggest challenge was, you know, I was constantly calling up manufacturers and they were all just saying, you know, we have this stuff on hand. We have a, a formula already. Like it's an aloe alcohol formula. It's great. It smells good. And blah, blah, blah. And I knew that I didn't want to take that shortcut and I wanted to create something totally unique and totally new. Mm -hmm. So that was my biggest challenge was sort of convincing a lab partner to like take the time to come on this journey with me um, versus just being like, we have it. Here you go. Slap a label on it. Like, yeah. Let's get this going, you know? And that was really the sentiment at the time, this rush, this mad rush. And I'll say that across the whole category and, and a lot of brands coming ahead and saying, let's just get to market, which now in retrospect has worked to our advantage because we were the ones that sort of like the tortoise <laughs> like took our time. And now as we face sort of correction in the market, like our product is standing out because it really mm -hmm. is different. But at the time, the temptation was to just like get this going as quickly as possible. And it was a, a bit of a balancing act for me. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, oh my God. Yeah, I have so many questions. <laughs> like, how did you have any idea how to even begin to create a different kind of like hand sanitizer? Like, did you have a sense of what should go into it? Obviously, you knew you wanted it to maybe smell different, feel better on your hands. Like, I mean, I have a bottle mm -hmm. of it right here. It's just like, I mean, I don't know which was the first product, but moisturizing antibacterial hand gel, for for example, yeah. like moisture. I feel like that's an oxymoron when it comes to like hand sanitizer, <laughs> moisturizing. Like usually you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to use so much hand sanitizer. My hands are going to be so dry and like falling apart. But like, it's just so unique and to smell good and to feel good. Like, yeah. How did you have any idea where to really start with this and, and what oh, to even go to the manufacturers with to create? Yeah, I honestly, I, I get asked this question all the time and I had no idea. Like I was, I was coming out of a job. I love to hear that. In, first of all, apparel. like I had literally, I had no experience in the beauty industry. I just did so much. I think a big part of being in an early stage business too, is like you learn to be incredibly resourceful mm -hmm. and you learn to basically think like, the mindset is always no one else is here to figure it out. So I have to do that. Yeah. And it just brings about this, this resourcefulness in you. So I feel like for me, I did, I know it sounds silly, but like, I just did a lot of Googling. <laughs> like, on, I didn't even have any contacts in the media industry to really call someone and say, like, how does one do this? And and I've since learned that there's actually like consultants who do this for a living. Hmm. People come to them and say, like, I want to create a skincare line and I'm going to hire you to help me like do it from A to B. Um, from start to finish and and I didn't even know that was possible so mm -hmm. I, I really took the sort of scrappy approach and I I called you know I cold called um manufacturers and and labs so that so the first step was really to find a lab partner and they're often like these are contract manufacturers so people come to them and say I want to create a line I want to use your lab and I want to use your scientists and and get them to help me with the formulation and then you know, we'll source the packaging and you'll make it. And that will be sort of the journey that we take. And um, the, even finding people, and as I said, like in a category that was so hot, 
um, it was hard to find the right person, but I, I did end up finding a great lab partner in Canada um, who, you know, and I kind of pulled out my, my sales hat and pitched them on my vision and got them excited. And, you know, they see the long-term revenue from a brand, hopefully that can create something unique and, and different and successful. And mm-hmm. I just said, like, this is what I want to do. And they were on board with it and they wow. helped me develop the formula and all I, I had very basic requirements. It was like, I wanted to be moisturizing. I want to use a moisturizer that's not aloe and it's not glycerin. Cause that's the typical, like every sanitizer you see on the market has one of those two moisturizing agents and you can claim moisturizing and hydrating with those two ingredients. Mm-hmm. But really the efficacy is so low when it's mixed with the alcohol, like, you know, I mean, we've all used aloe based hand sanitizer and like, right. it doesn't really have the same impact as, as well, in our case, we use an emollient that's like typically used in skincare and hair care. It's quite premium and it really balanced well with the alcohol. So you really still feel that moisturizing effect despite mm-hmm. the alcohol content. Um, so, you know, we worked with them to source that ingredient. And then as far as the scent, I was really inspired by the brand's like Aesop and Lalabo, who really like are scent specialists, you know, they use incredible blends of different, you know, essential oils. And and I was really inspired by that type of um, approach. And and yeah, I mean, the lab really nailed it quite quickly. So this was our first product just also too, like the focus was on the sanitizer because I knew I only had the money to launch one product. In the back of my mind, I had others in mind, but really it was all about the sanitizer and the concept of like the refillable dispensers and like the really premium formulation, which, Mm -hmm. which got us to launch. And then obviously the brand has evolved since then, but yeah. And then, and then the other thing too, is again, I've learned along the way, like all the things that I could have done to make my life easier, (laughs) which I I didn't do because, you know, I was sort of like determined to bootstrap this and like do it myself. And, you know, it turns out also contract manufacturers, like they can do full turnkey like they can go source the, the um, packaging for you and just do it all for you hmm. at a cost, of course. But I really took the hard way and, and then set out to then find like separate packaging suppliers who could fit the requirements of my vision. So that was a whole other sourcing endeavor, um, which was twofold. One was finding the smaller dispenser. I wanted to use PCR, which is previously recycled or post-consumer resin, but previously recycled plastic. Um, So I had to go find a supplier there. And then to make my life extra complicated, I wanted to design from scratch our pump for the home. Mm -hmm. The concept really focused around this home pump and like using sanitizer in the home context or, you know, in a business or a school or whatever it might be. Um, And I wanted to design like a totally unique, beautiful dispenser that people would want to have in their front hall or on their changing table. Yeah. or in their kitchen. So that was a whole separate parallel <laughs> endeavor that required an industrial design firm. And, you know, it was a, a real labor of love. Yeah. And, and we went through many iterations of that pump uh, before it was ready to go to market. So yeah, I, I it was definitely, I took on a lot. Um, and I definitely took the slower approach. But and, and, and to be fair, we did miss out on there was a huge wave of demand that we missed out on. I, mm-hmm. I will say that for sure. I mean, there was a period in the early pandemic where we were still in development and, and sales were through the roof and it was crazy. But again, I'm, I'm, when I look back, I'm, I'm glad that we took that time because 
now the pandemic hopefully sort of coming to an end. Um, but people are never going to stop using sanitizer. Like, I just yeah, feel like it's here to stop, stay. But I think people are no longer going to tolerate. Like, there's mm. no longer this, like, desperate need. And there, no one's going to Costco and buying, like, giant tubs right. of crap. You know, It's like, like now you want something that you're going to use long term that's going to feel better yes. and look nicer. I mean, I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. But, I, yeah, I, I agree. Mm. It seems like... I think what you did is so smart. Like, even if you missed out a little bit on the beginning, your brand stands out so much and it looks, it looks so beautiful. <laughs> like I want to get the big dispenser just to like have that at home. It, it's so yeah. nice. Like, I feel like that's, so when did you actually, when did the sanitizer actually hit the market? Like when was the first time people bought it? Well, we did like a very, very small sort of soft pre-order campaign in November of 2021. Um, but it was really in, more Canadian focused because we're a Canadian brand and it was mostly friends and family, to be honest, who ordered. And then January, so I like to say January. Sorry, that was 2020. January oh, okay. I was like, I didn't realize it was that yeah. brand new. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no. No, sorry. I'm um, getting my dates exact. But no, it was January 2021. I would say that we were like officially in stock, you know, marketing engine running, launched in the US and in Canada. Amazing. No, I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like even, I know you're saying, like, you're like, it's a tortoise. You took your time, but honestly, like, that doesn't seem like that long for it to, like, to create something totally brand new from scratch, like, to have kind of gotten it. You basically kind of got it started in 2019 and had it, like, in people's hands by 2020. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's pretty true. incredible. I think, I think I just felt, yeah, there were just, there were a lot of manufacturers that were like, well, we have it in a vat. Yeah. Send us a bottle. We'll make it. I could see that. <laughs> yeah. Market it tomorrow. You know, there was this real, like, so it felt like the slow approach, but yeah, I mean, I think like when you actually look at how much thought and time and care went into development it, it was it was pretty quick and then I had to push I was really like all over people they probably were pretty annoyed by me but um <laughs> but that's how you get things done it was yeah exactly yeah amazing push. so oh my gosh I I want to just back up for one second because you kind of really I mean you touched on but very quickly raising money and I feel like that's such a huge mm-hmm. piece of of the story and of the journey sometimes and I'm really curious to hear a little more about that I I feel like I mean that's something we always people always kind of touch on right is that it's if a lot of most female founders have a hard time raising money a lot of investors mm-hmm. don't go with female founded brands even though it's like proven that they're usually a better investment maybe than not yeah. but um what is like I also feel like that's just something that feels very daunting to people a lot of the time when they're first getting started so I feel like it's I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that looked like and I feel like maybe it's worth mentioning too that I mean, you probably couldn't have been asking people for money for a hand sanitizer company at a better time. So (laughs) that might have, like, there might be something there too. But, like, what did that look like? How did you know what to go to them with? And how did you know, like, who did, how did you, who did you find? How did you know how to find them? And, and what did that look like? Yeah, it's a, it is certainly a daunting experience. Um, I've now done it almost, I would say, like, two and a half times, Mm. which I'll explain in more detail. But so when we originally, when I when I initially launched the brand, I I knew I needed some capital. I I was definitely there's a, a bunch of different approaches you can take. There's like in the you know there's the bootstrap entirely, like put your life savings. I just didn't. 
I knew out of the gate that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, to take a more, um, well, not a less risky, because honestly, taking other people's money is way scarier than mm-hmm. spending your own, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to get some capital because I, I also knew too, like there were a lot of, there's a lot of money associated with, with the things I was doing, like from scratch. And anyway, so I, and I had some experience, I have to say, I, I would be lying if I said that I didn't have an advantage um, coming out of my next experience. I was never directly involved in fundraising at Nix, but because I had that that certain pedigree, I suppose, um, it was a bit easier to sell myself as an entrepreneur because at that stage, really, I didn't even have a product mm-hmm. when I went out to raise. You know, I had a deck <laughs> that was like a vision mm-hmm. and I had a couple prototypes. I didn't know anything. I, no, I didn't even have prototypes. I had like some just some drawings um and and I, I so I was really selling myself as an entrepreneur and um so I had a bit of an advantage there I did a lot of friends and family honestly mm-hmm. it was a lot of um I have a lot of investors out of that first round like I didn't have a lot of you know I didn't have like one big investor and a bunch and a few small like it was a real smattering <laughs> of a bunch of people you know I was taking small checks I was just trying to gather as much as I could um, I ended up raising 250,000 Canadian. Wow. Okay. That was going to be my next question was if you could share yeah. how much you needed to get started. Yeah. And, and it wasn't enough. I'll tell you okay. that. And I was very naive about that. <laughs> uh, it really wasn't enough. And, and hence why the other sort of half I said earlier mm. is by January. So that was in like March, April. And then by January, the following year, basically when we launched, I was ready. I needed more and not too much more, just enough to mainly actually, it was a good news story. I we had secured a, a very large retail partner in Canada called Indigo, and they placed a very sizable opening order. In fact, their order was bigger than our initial launch order. Wow. So I basically had to double our quantities uh, to get into that retailer. And I, so I had to go back to my initial investors and say, would you re-up another amount? And then I went and I brought on a few more new ones and we were able to raise another one. So it's probably easier when you're like, I need the money because I have this big order coming in. Totally. No, it it was, it was a good news. It was was the best kind of context to raise money in. And and to your point too, like there was just this category was so hot at the time. Um, But I was really going after friends and family and, and some nowhere near institutional or, or even really at that point, it was, it was quite um, scrappy. And then you know, that money also sort of quickly ran out. And um, about, I guess, the six to eight months later, we'd had solid traction. We had retailers. We had some new retailers coming on board at that point that had, you know, that had confirmed. And again, more good news showing that we had traction, um, but we just didn't have the capital to really fund a proper direct-to-consumer strategy, which I think it's so much more expensive than it used to be. This is something I've learned like last year with iOS changes. Like mm. it is so hard to build a direct to consumer brand in this particular environment right now without a ton of capital mm. because you are constantly testing and learning and you just need the money. So we went out to do a bigger raise. So in this, in the summer, I went out to raise, um, well, we raised 950 Canadian. Wow. Um, so that's 750 US and that brought in more angels. Um, and then a lot of my initial investors also again re-upped their amounts, which was great because it just showed that they were still really supportive and that yeah. they believed in me and 
that was a great story to take to my new investors to say, listen, like these guys are already, they're upping. Now I need some new bigger partners as well to help round it out. And it, it was surprisingly fast. And I, I know that raising money can take a really long time, depending on the moment. I think this summer, like the market was really frothy. The economy was really strong. Um, and again, this category had a lot of momentum. So I was able to, to secure the money in really just a few weeks. Wow. And this was all virtual too, I'll say, mm. you know, very different from the past where you're typically meeting people in person and presenting. And this was all like a virtual roadshow, yeah, which was oh interesting. Gosh. Um, so that money came through in the summer and that's really helped us to take the brand to the next level. It allowed us to you know, expand into more products and um, really test our direct-to-consumer strategy. It allowed me to hire people. Like, I didn't have any full-time people until mm. um, October. Wow. So um, that was a huge... And also at that time, I'd, it, at the same time, to complicate things, I found out that I was pregnant with my second child as I was sort of finishing the raise last summer. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I knew, oh my God, I'm just a time bomb. I have to make sure I have a staff and a team for when right. the day comes that this baby's inevitably going to come. So that was another thing driving me. Oh my gosh. So, okay. Uh, yeah. Who was, what was the first full-time hire that you made? So I, this is something I learned from my Nick's experience. Um, so when we were at Nick's, we really, we decided we were bootstrapping always. I mean, we, we had, we did have capital, but not enough to fill out a full executive team that's for sure mm-hmm. so we were really we really relied on multiple people in a more junior in more junior roles hmm. and it, based on that experience i decided to kind of flip my strategy and hire one right hand mm-hmm. that was going to be quite senior who could really like really run the business if if I needed them to. If you had a brand um, new baby had, like, <laughs> and needed things to be taken oh. care of. Yeah, yeah. And, and someone who I could just really rely on um, on the operations side specifically just because our business and our supply chain is complicated. Um, and I wanted someone with real ops experience, um, but also someone who was strategic and, and could also do sales too. So I managed to find this amazing person um who actually also worked at nix at one time when i wasn't there oh wow um and she came very highly recommended from the founder so it was a perfect it was the perfect fit um so i went quite senior to start and then we ended up hiring a junior marketing person as well um who was amazing also um who's more on the content creation social media kind of tiktok side of things so um that was those are my first two hires and then we're now about to make another hire too as well so it's a lean team very lean wow yeah <laughs> but, but mighty and also by the way like as you just told me before we started recording like you just had the baby <laughs> yes. like literally the baby is how old last week uh, six days old <laughs> oh my god can i just mention it? i'm feeling like honored that you <laughs> decided to still come on this podcast i would not have expected that um yeah. i can't believe that but i mean on the other hand like i mean i do believe it like i also was a founder who had a baby after i had a business and there were no days off like i was emailing from the hospital room like because 
well, in my situation, I mean, my situation might have been a little different. He was born early. So like I hadn't prepped Mm. (laughs) as much as I was planning to. And like nobody knew I was going to be off yet that week. So um, a little different, but still, I totally like get it. Like work, you don't necessarily stop working. And it's not just because like you can't, like I don't want to be like perpetuating that culture of like, you have to always be on even the day after you have a baby, but it's also like no. the business is also like the business is so important, right? It's like, you don't want to stop. Like you, you don't want to stop. You can't stop. It's like, that's, that's you just as much as anything else. I think I don't, I'm, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but that's like how I felt. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah what's, it totally resonates. do you uh, have plans? Like what is, what is this month or this year going to look like for you and the company uh, now that you do have two and what is it two under like three years old, like three years older. Uh, my, my first is turning three in a couple weeks. Oh so it's gosh. a good age gap. She's okay. like now at school and like our preschool and it's, it's not like I have two under two at home. Okay. <laughs> well, mine really just turned seven and I'm still trying to figure out oh when God. I'm going to have time to have a second. So <laughs> all these people who have like, it's never a good time. I'll promise you. That. Exactly. Exactly. At least you didn't let seven years go by, but <laughs> I still, I just yeah. can't believe it. I just can't even like fathom when I see people with like two or even three or more little kids at once. Oh, it's hard. Yeah, I know. It's, I think I was very naive a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, I, I think this is the, this is the thing for female founders and, and, you know, actually it's funny, like Joanna Nix had a similar, you know, real story around this. She was pregnant with, with twins when she Mm -hmm. did her raise and obviously she was raising a heck of a lot more of the money than I was. Um, but I believe she did a $50,000 or $50 million raise. Um, when she was pregnant with twins. Um, and it became, you know, she really decided to become like the face of the female founder experience and around motherhood and balancing all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a reality we have to deal with for sure. And I think it's, it's really all about balancing the, the really important time of your kids being young. Like I don't want to under, I don't want to just see it pass by. Like I want to be really present. But this business is also my baby too. Right. And I put so, so much into it in the last couple of years. And it just, and yes, I'm, I'm confident that my team can handle so much and I'm so grateful for them. But at the end of the day, like <laughs> they can't do this podcast. They can't do an interview. They can't, right. you know, like I am, this is, this is, I am sort of, you know, the face of this brand and, and, and I love doing this stuff. It's, right. it's my passion too. So it's, it's not a chore. It's more just like, okay, how do I carve out my day and, and, you know, get the help I need and the support I need to be able to sort of balance both. Um, but it's, it's, the, it's the female founder experience. Right. Uh, if you choose to, to do both. Yeah. And it's it's like, now's the time for both, right? Like, it's like, you don't want to wait on one thing to do the other and you don't want to wait on the other thing to do the first. And I mean, yeah, we can do it. You can do it, both. you can do both. You can do it all. Right. Like I, I fully, I just, I, I agree. And I love that. And I think that there is space to make it all happen. And I love to see, I mean, as much as I was like, what you had the baby last week, (laughs) I love to see women who are, who are making that work and who are doing it and yeah, relying on your team and figuring out what will work and what needs to happen to make this company still move forward, still get to have, you know, the family that you want to create. I love it. Thank you. I appreciate the support. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. You know, it's, it's, uh, there are days that are really hard. And then, I mean, I'm coming off of, 
I've had a couple good nights, but like my first few nights with this with this new baby were really hard. She was up for like seven hours oh um, both nights, just like nonstop feeding. So I was, and my other daughter never did that. So I was like, oh, Uh-oh, I'm in for it. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> I thought this happening? would be easier than it really is. <laughs> what have I done? I hope you, um, I hope that you're not you don't like listen back to this episode a couple months from now, and you're like, oh my gosh, what was I saying? Like I was like clearly asleep. No, I mean so far. Everything you said has made total sense, and I love it. But I hope you're not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did a podcast six days after. No, I, I mean, you seem to like uh, honestly, I would have had no idea. You seem totally put together, as far as I can tell. So I think well, that's thank you. amazing. What is your yeah? What is your um? Like, what are you doing? Is your team do you do you work from home right now? Do you have a team that's like in an office? Or are you like how do you keep like communication with your team and obviously whatever you know whatever you're doing with your family to also run that? Yeah, we're so we've been remote this whole time just simply because of the COVID. Right, because you started right when everything um, was remote. I think, yeah, and I think a lot of the people that I did hire were expressed out of the gate a real desire to have flexibility in their um, in their work um location and um you know actually the the woman i hired the more senior role like she's been working from various locations like she was down in costa rica and mm. you know it, it's a kind of a new world and i yeah. i'm i'm digging in <laughs> i i think um i personally have always valued flexibility and like where i can work because i consider myself to be a pretty hard worker and i don't you know i don't necessarily need to be in an office for facetime um right. So yeah, and it's with modern technology, we can all do that. I mean, I raise money on Zoom. I feel like we can probably run a business on it as well. Yeah. I think that being said, it's important that, you know, we get together in person and that we have that face-to-face time for sure. So we'll certainly be looking for spaces to gather, but I don't really see like a permanent office space in our near future. Um, and then right now we're, we communicate by it's quite free flowing it's like a lot of texting a lot of email we're kind of we're all in it it's it's a bit scrappy um and and it's great i'm i'm really thrilled it's it's just so as a a single founder it's just having someone full-time or two people in my case full-time is just so amazing when you've been coming off a year of working only with consultants Mm -hmm. who are really only giving you a certain percentage of their time um and you know you're conscious that you can't bother them <laughs> all day every day um and it's been it's been such a great feeling to know that i have that that support and that people really believe in the brand and they're on the journey with you i think that's it's because it's very isolated you know being a, a yeah. sole founder is it's tough it's tough not having that person that you can bounce off of um so I, i'm always envious when i meet uh, co-founders. I know. Like, it's so curious to understand their dynamics and how they make it work. And I'm always like, oh, I'm just so jealous. You get to like have a person. I know. <laughs> I think I that like sometimes I have that too. too in my team. So, oh, that's great. Fortunate. I just wanted to pop on quickly to let you know that we are relaunching our PR boot camp the first week of May. And what that means is that we're starting a new cohort. We have had a group of women going through this program for the last several months, and we are now opening it up again to another group. We are capping this group at 10 people. So you will be one of 10 people going through our PR, our PR bootcamp. 
and it's a group program with lots of videos and stuff that you can do on your own time, homework, worksheets, things like that, but also monthly live workshops with me and a weekly accountability, a Facebook group where we talk through anything and everything and provide a lot of opportunities and then weekly emails from me checking in, getting feet, asking, you know, giving feedback, all of that stuff and just constant accountability. I know that one of the hardest parts of doing an online course or any kind of program like that is the accountability and making sure you're actually going to do it and that you're completing the program and getting the results that you were expecting or wanting to get. And so that is why we have been doing this program as a group program, um, which I've just have found to be totally different than when we offered it as a DIY course, like at your own pace. It is so different now. We've had such a great time with this group of women and I hope that if it's something that you've been considering, if you've been interested in doing PR for your brand or your business, um, look into this because this is a great opportunity to do that. And as I said, we only have 10 spots. We're starting the first week of May. I'll include a link in the show notes to more information and you can join the wait list if you're interested. I mean, you can join the, yeah, the email list if you're interested and we will reach out as soon as we have more information as soon as it goes on, you know, goes live for signing up. So take a look at that and let me know if you have any questions. I, I, I have so many things I want to ask you, but I'm also trying to like not take your whole day, but I want to no, hear no, a little, <laughs> how did you, <laughs> what is like your marketing been like? Like, cause I know on like your branding is beautiful and I love it. And I know you've already been featured in like yeah. a lot of different publications and talked about a lot and even, and had like some high level, um, or high, high profile people like use or share your product. Like what did, mm. I'm assuming this is one of the, like one of the, um, um, oh my God, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> One of like the, the agencies you've worked with was like, you know, marketing or PR and stuff like that. But what did that look like in terms of like getting product out there into people's hands at the beginning and getting people interested in what you're selling? Yeah, it's been a, such a multi-layered approach. Um, I will start, like I'll kind of rewind just to the branding quickly. Um, what the other, the other thing that we could have done again to like, I guess, save on time and kind of do this like more um, holistic approach, I suppose, would be uh, a lot of people would hire a branding agency out of the gate and pay mm -hmm. them like a very large sum of money and be like, okay, we're going to develop the entire brand personality, landscape, look, feel. It's going to be like the whole nine yards. And, and again, in my sort of scrappy approach, I worked with um, one woman um, out of New York who had been recommended to me we worked on a bunch of different brands. She was more of like a packaging designer, actually, but just mm -hmm. had an incredible eye and sensibility for design. And she and I really worked together. I had quite a strong vision for what I wanted the brand to look like. Um, and I have sort of a graphic design background a bit. Like, I'm really into design. Okay. Interior design, graphic, all of that. So I had quite a clear vision. And she and I really worked together in a very scrappy way to put together the vision of the brand. Um so I didn't have like a fancy agency that like did it all for me. Um, I just didn't have the budget to do that. And I wanted to implement those dollars in other ways. And I knew that we could come up with something beautiful, the two of us. Um, so that out of the gate was our scrappier approach. And then of course, since then we've had um, 
we have had, you know, PR firms. Um, I've worked with two different PR people, both of them great. Um, I've worked with various agencies that help with your direct-to-consumer strategy. Again, nothing, no huge agencies, no consultants. Um, and it's been very multi-layered. So I would say, and this was another lesson from Nix, was wholesale has always been a part of our strategy. Mm. Um, I knew that we didn't have the capital to come out and launch a pure D2C brand. Okay. Um, I knew when you look at the brands that were able to do that, like Glossier and Harry's, and they're like the gold standard. They had so much capital behind them. Um, and we just weren't in that position. So I thought, okay, we've got to balance out like a focused approach on D2C, but also with some wholesale support. And I think in the beauty industry, it, it's actually so important anyway that you have these retailers to give you credibility and um, to also look just develop your brand recognition out in the marketplace. So yeah. launching with Indigo in Canada was really big for us. That basically meant that we had shelf space in 40 to 60 retail doors across Canada to pay for those eyeballs mm-hmm. on Facebook would have cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like we were reaching like a lot of people just by being on shelf at a retailer like that. And that's always how I thought of it. It was like, okay, what is the cost to get in front of X amount of people? You know, and wholesale is just so important. And then in the US, we were really keen to, it took us six to eight months, but we, you know, the detox market and Credo were sort of our two big, um, targets and we launched with them just this last fall Mm. um and those retailers take time but i knew that was really important as well for us to be on shelf at those sort of retailers and then now we're looking at the sort of the larger ones um that's sort of on the horizon for us hopefully is to secure a larger retailer partnership where you know we're looking at hundreds of doors um but that's it's all phased right um and then of course independence like you need to be in some of those like local real like influential boutiques that may not do a ton of volume but they're just really important for for building your brand on a more micro level um so we have a bunch of amazing partners on a smaller like more independent level as well which i don't discredit at all like they're just as important as some of these bigger ones um so that was our wholesale strategy and then as far as d2c i mean it's been so much testing and learning i think a lot of founders can relate right now (laughs) you know it used to be that like you could do a bunch of Facebook ads and like overnight see a ton of success and you know it's great it was great and that was the heyday and that's certainly you know Nix was able to like really grow exponentially on their Facebook strategy but it's just not the case anymore Mm. you know the cost per acquisition is four times higher than it was a year ago oh wow yeah no that's what i feel like people just think it's so easy like i was even going to say that about wholesalers like i feel like i hear a lot of people who are like thinking of starting a product company being like oh i'm not going to bother with like wholesaling i'm just going to sell direct to consumer because like they think that's it's like uh, because how do you get into you know wholesaling is like a whole other beast but i mean what you just said is it makes so much sense like I mean, that sounds yeah. like it makes so much sense. Well, I feel like people think it's harder, it but... Yeah, from like a, a pure economic standpoint, wholesale will buy your product from you. And yes, you give away 50% of your margin maybe, but you get to keep 50% of your margin. Right. Whereas when you're selling direct-to-consumer, you're losing money on every order for the, at least the first year and a half. Like, it is so mm-hmm. hard to achieve a, you know, a profitable first order when you're doing direct to consumer, like because I mean, of how much advertising goes into it, it, it you mean? Time. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's 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 a, it's a funny thing. People assume, oh, you give so much away at wholesale, like wholesale your margins are way worse. Like, no, I actually make way more money selling wholesale, hmm. and that helps to support my direct to consumer strategy, which is just takes time. Interesting. And there's so many new channels now. I think now that Facebook has had this sort of fall, um, there's so many new and interesting channels that you can test. You know, there's like. I mean, obviously it's been around for a while, but there's like affiliate marketing and there's like text message and then, you know, optimizing email. And then there's like other sort of like co-op type channels. And, and it's, you have to have a lot of money to be able to burn in a way because some of it for every channel that works, four of them won't, or it will take, you know, months to really ramp up or, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a real crapshoot, I have to say. And, um, and it's, it's not as easy as it once was. So anyone who says they're gonna launch a purely D2C product-based business, that's great, but make sure you have a lot of capital to be able to, to do it because it's amazing how much you burn um, in the test, in the testing phase. But, you know, we're still working through it. We're still figuring out what's working, what's not. And we've been fortunate. We've had some some channels really come for us and then others that haven't. Um, and then again, layered onto that is brand recognition, proper um, sampling, getting it into the right hands. Like on a partnership that's been amazing for us has been with this um, celebrity nail artist um, out in LA who we were introduced to like a year ago. And she basically does the nails of every major celebrity um, and has an incredible client list and basically like became really passionate about our product and just said, send me product every month. Just send me like boxes of product. Wow. I will get it into the right hands. And she's distributed it like all over Hollywood. <laughs> and I get emails being like, oh, so-and-so like has your pump in the front hallway and oh, they're using it on set. And oh, that's you know, amazing. I get these like, yeah. And, it's, and, and that led to this amazing serendipitous uh, thing that happened in December where Adele was posting from her record launch party um and like posted a photo on her personal feed of like her tablescape like she was like you know sat down and she had you know the things that were in front of her on her table and palm happened to be in the shot it was like her plate of food and i'm like wow palm next to it it was so funny and i had a customer texted to me or you know messaged me on on instagram about it and was like did you see this adele just posted about palm and you know shouldn't tag us i wouldn't expect her to but just to see our product at her launch party like on her like that she was using like it wasn't a promotional thing we didn't we didn't supply a palm for a party like it wasn't like that it was just a pure like this was in my purse and I put it on the table kind of moment and that was amazing I mean to see that was like it it really paid off like in it and I it paid off for me like in a more of a emotional way yeah (laughs) I'm not sure it like brought in a lot of sales but to be able to say that Adele uses our product, I mean, that's, it's that's really amazing. exciting. And, and that came and from that organic thing. Right. I was just going to say that came from kind of that natural like partnership of someone oh, else yeah. who just really loved the product and wanted to help and, and get it out there. That's yeah. amazing. And that's the great thing about our product too. The sanitizer is one of those things that people use out about. They use it, um, you know, True. when they're brunch with their friends or at a party or at a baby shower, like they pull it out and use it, right? Because people are sanitizing all the time and it's the perfect moment for, and because I think our packaging is so unique, like you see that nozzle, that like twist bottle, 
people are like, what is that? It doesn't look like a spray hand sanitizer, what you buy normally. Right. And it sparks conversation. And, and we're actually seeing that in our, in our sort of research um, from, our, from our customers that 20% of our customers are just seeing the product out and about on their friends and, um, and through word of mouth. So wow. that's, that's a great thing about our product and that's that's where you can kind of bring in that like that's kind of the roi of of the branding because when something actually looks cool enough that people are like what is that when they see someone else using it like that is yeah that's when you're like okay that made it worth it to to make such amazing bottles and the the beautiful branding and something that's going to make people want to that that it catches their eye love it absolutely yeah that is that's the implicit that's the stuff that you can't quantify that like it's just so important um and branding in general i mean i will i can talk all day about what i think a good brand is or like how to build a brand but it's so multi-layered it's not even just in the visuals too it's it's in the what you evoke with your customers and out of the gate i think and this was an inspiration from being so isolated during the pandemic but i did a lot of thinking about how you know, we were all cut off essentially from our loved ones. And, you know, we did not see people for for months. And it was during that experience that I was developing the brand and the brand story and the thought around it. And, and it was all around like the benefits of clean hands, less so about killing 99% of germs. Like that's right. like the typical sterile kind of approach to this product category is all about germ killing and it's very antiseptic and, and I wanted to get past that. I wanted this product to be an actual moment of like indulgence in and self care. You know, we talk about self care a lot, Um, and I wanted it to be you know a way that people can feel safe and then connect. It's the benefits of clean hands. You can now go and touch your baby and feel that you're not going to give them you know whatever virus you're carrying on your hands, COVID or not, it doesn't really matter. or you know you can then go to a dinner party and know that you like you have clean hands and you can connect with your friends you know touch the the value of human touch in itself is something that's not really talked about in this category and that was something i really wanted to hone in on um when it came to like developing our brand personality so i think that's also really resonated with people and that has Mm -hmm. also allowed us to stand out too um our tagline is be in touch you know it's like it's not just about efficacy it's about you know the benefits so um yeah i I believe and i think that's from my next experience too you can have a great product but it's about what you create in the community and your following and and nick's did a brilliant job of that you know as a leader in the body positive movement it wasn't just about making underwear that looked like great on a victoria's secret model it was about like making real products for real women and like what it was the meaning behind that and and empowering people to to be themselves and to be unapologetically free, as they say, um, you know, so that's, those are just lessons you learn too. just being out there and working at other brands and like you, re- you really see the value of that stuff. And again, that's, that's development in your brand that costs money. Like right. a lot of people pay big bucks for agencies to come up with that kind of strategy for them. And yeah, you don't see the ROI immediately, but it's, it's a part of the whole story of the brand and, and you really need it and it's not something you should cut corners on yeah um really because it's so important long yeah term. right and you can see yeah that's the stuff that you can really 
that you can really see is having an impact on it, on the brand over time and making mm-hmm. it, it's going to stay successful. It's going to keep people interested, keep bringing in new people and keep the people that have tried it interested. I, I totally agree. I think that's so, so important. Shouldn't be overlooked. Um, mm-hmm. I always ask people at the end, kind of what's one thing that you wish you had known more about when you first began your business. And I feel like you've shared so much about like things you've learned from, from your previous job, which were so helpful, mm-hmm. like so important and helpful, I think along your journey. But is there anything that, you know, just when starting out on your actually like on your own, on your own project, like anything you wish you had known more about that would have made it easier? Well, <clears throat> I, I can't really pinpoint like a tangible thing that's like, oh, I really, well, actually, I, I do think I was naive initially because I had come off the next experience where Facebook had played such a big role in our growth. And like, it was like our digital growth was seemingly fairly seamless in a way. It was like, oh, like put money here and get money back. And it was this very like transactional, predictable machine. <laughs> and I would say that that was where I, I've learned the hardest lessons, which is like, wow, it's actually really not as transactional and easy as it looks. Um, I know we touched on this in in previous questions, but it's, it's a real, it's really challenging right now, um, for brands to, to grow as quickly perhaps, um, as maybe they were growing a few years ago. It's just Mm -hmm. a very, very different landscape. So I've had a lot of learnings in that regard of like, okay, and I have a whole network of founders that I am in touch with constantly. They're like my people. Um, and we're all experiencing the same things. We all mm-hmm. launched around the same time. And these are like amazing products, amazing brands um, that are really doing stuff and like having incredible press. And they, on the outside, you know, they're, it looks so impressive. You know, it's like all these, like the press articles and like we built so much momentum, Palm included, like, over the last year, Adele, like all that stuff. But then at the end of the day, like getting sales is, is, you know, it's, it's not something that just comes naturally. It's not like, Oh, it's just this like free flowing thing. And it all just works. It's like, it really is a, um, a slog yeah. <laughs> I need to be so brutal. And no, but and it's harder than it looks, that. right. It's harder it's, than it's people really can hard. tell. Yeah. It's really hard. And, and it's, it's a lot of pressure and, um, it's not for everyone. Like I say this too, this doesn't really answer your question, but like, I do always say, like, if you're thinking of launching no, th- a business, this does answer the question. Cause the next question is like, is there anything that you yeah. want to share with other entrepreneurs? So yeah, go into it. So tell us what you're going <laughs> to say. Not to be super negative, but, uh, I don't like to get to, but I will say like, it's, it takes a particular kind of crazy person to do this. <laughs> and 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 it's it's a lot of really thick skin and resiliency. I use that word resiliency all the time because mm-hmm. it's that innate ability or learned ability. I think in my case, having witnessed you know the next journey, um, to really know that everything's going to go wrong. Um, <laughs> basically, you know, nothing really ever goes smoothly and well, and know that. you know, you're going to have like major setbacks, but you're also going to have major wins. And it's all about like balancing the two and learning from the challenges as quickly as possible. And like moving on and just like letting it go 
and and it's it's a, a real resiliency that um, not everyone has, and that's okay. Like, not everyone should be doing this. There's like a reason True. why not everyone does this. Like, there's this particular kind of crazy, as I said, of people who want to take this on. But just know that it's really not easy, and it's not. Um, yeah, it's it's it takes a lot of real determination and ability to kind of like just move on from the setbacks because if you let them eat away at you or you dwell too much, you can become paralyzed. And and that's something I think that I have learned um, to do quite well is just, you know, soldier on <laughs> and, and think about what's next always, always thinking about like, where's the brand going? And I think that leads to the whole hand care story, which is like I saw six months ago, I, I predicted, I mean, as most people probably would, there's, there's going to be a correction in this market. Um, and what are the brands that are going to really stand out at the end of all this? And mm-hmm. I'll tell you right now, a lot of them aren't, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, going to stick around. And there's going to be this, like, the few key brands that are going to rise to the top after this. And, and we want to be a part of that. We want to be on that track. Um, so we're thinking about how we do that. And I think for us, it's all about expansion into broader hand care and, and really thinking about skincare for hands, which mm-hmm. is something that people haven't, no one's really ever done before in a really thoughtful, focused way. Um, as yeah, I said, so a lot unique. of products like hand creams, they're just a part of like a broader portfolio and they're kind of an afterthought. Um, but no one's really come out and said, we want to make like the best hand cream and here's why, and here are all the ingredients and here are the benefits and here's why your hands need this specifically. Um, so that's like strategically something that we've we've been crafting for a while now to think about okay what's next for us how do we become the face of hand care um <laughs> that sounds funny <laughs> the hands of hand care um you know when this is all when the dust settles on the pandemic and people are looking at like okay how does sanitizer fit into my daily routine i'm now wanting something that's really nice and luxurious and that i enjoy using um, and how does that translate into my broader hand and care routine and all of that? So that's um, another thing that founders need to be like, constantly thinking about the next the next step. Yeah. Um, even yeah. when the first step is still a work in progress. Right. You know, it's how, that's the balance, right? It's like, yeah, that's such like, good insight. You know, yeah. And uh, yeah, I would say that would probably be my biggest advice. I love that. And learnings from all this. And I can't wait to see what else you end up doing with Palm in the next, like, couple weeks. I mean, a couple months and a couple years. (laughs) I was going to say, it sounds like so, like, I'm really excited to see what you do with it. I love it. Tell people where they can find you you online. How can they, like, find Palm and connect with you and keep up, keep along with the story and everything? So, I mean, just for starters, you can follow us on Instagram. We're at mypalm, P-A-U-M-E. Um, and then if you want to purchase the product where uh, we have a .ca and a .com, so mypalm.com or mypalm.ca, uh, depending on where you are. And all of our products are on there. We have new stuff coming down the pipeline, which I'm really excited about, more like Q3 kind of launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then also we have our some amazing retail partners. If you're a shopper at the Detox Market or at Credo, we're on shelves um, at their locations as well. Um, and yeah, that's, and we're always, you know, active on social media. If you have questions or want to engage with us, just DM us and we'll, we'll get back to you. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today, Amy. I, I loved Thank hearing you. more about this. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast wherever you listen so you won't miss the next episode. And leave a review on iTunes so other people will be able to find us easily. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you've heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and contact links are always in the show notes or online at quotablemediaco.com slash podcast. If you want to join the community of other female millennial entrepreneurs, join our Facebook group by searching female millennial entrepreneurs on Facebook. Talk to you soon and see you there.